Our communion text is in Isaiah, Isaiah 53. Actually, I'm sorry, Isaiah 52. I was fooled by the bulletin also. I'll read only one verse, Isaiah 52 and verse 13. Behold, my servant shall deal prudently. He shall be exalted and extolled and be very high. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word, and we thank you for the promised Messiah that has come. And we ask you now to open our eyes and ears and our minds to see and understand this prophecy of Isaiah so long ago that still applies in our day, in our lives. We ask you to bless us with your presence. In Christ's name we give you thanks. Amen. Amen. Last week I talked to you about the noun, servant, suffering servant. And yet for the rest of this time we're going to talk about the adjective suffering and all kinds of elements and all kinds of references in the next 15, 16 verses that refer to it. And yet the very first one is striking. The very first one is exalted. It's the exaltation of Christ. And so this is pretty odd, I think. We're going to expound upon the suffering of Christ, and yet the very first thing that the Scripture talks about is his exaltation. So I want you to take note of this. I think it's very important that we take note of this. In the coming weeks, we will reflect upon his being despised by the people that he came to, being abandoned by his own disciples, being betrayed by one of them, a, a man that scripture calls his friend, about being tortured and executed by the soldiers and uh, suffering the torments of hell while on the cross. All of that is portrayed in Isaiah 52 and 53. And yet we begin with this one little verse on the exaltation of Christ, how high he will be extolled. Now, God, through Isaiah, wants us to see this clearly because he wants to see the light at the end of the tunnel, as they say. And everybody always jokes about the light at the end of the tunnel has been extinguished now, so give up all hope. But uh, this is God's light at the end of the tunnel. It is Christ's uh, light that, that called him, that led him throughout his whole life all of the temptations he faced, all of the difficulties that he endured were endured and he could see that hope at the end of the tunnel. I want to focus on this exaltation of Christ. I want to enjoy it, if you will, for a minute. So go ahead and listen as I read some of the excerpts from Scripture that remark on his exaltation. Psalm 110, verse 1, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Luke twenty-two sixty-nine. Hereafter the Son of Man will sit on the right hand of the power of God. Acts seven fifty-five. But he, being full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Romans eight thirty-four. Who is he who condemns? It is Christ who died, and furthermore is also risen who is even at the right hand of God, who also makes intercession for us. Ephesians 1.20, which he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places. 
Colossians 3.1. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Hebrews 1.3. Who being the brightness of his glory and the express image of his person and upholding all things by the word of his power, when he had by himself purged our sins, sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Hebrews 8.1. Now this is the main point of the things we are saying. We have such a high priest who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Hebrews 10.12. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down at the right hand of God. And 1 Peter 3.22. Who has gone into heavens and is at the right hand of God, angels and authorities and powers having been made subject to him. And I want to read one more. This is from Hebrews 12.2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. This last one focuses upon what I want to focus on with you briefly. For the joy that was set before him, Jesus endured the cross. So he looked ahead to the joy that would be his when he conquered on the earth, and that's what impelled him through his life, looking forward to that time when he would return to the glory that he had with his Father in heaven. Now, to some degree, we really can't relate to that because we haven't experienced that glory with the Father as Christ did, but nor did Christ in his human nature. And so his human nature was every bit a part of his life as he's moving through time, just as our human nature is with us as we're moving through time. So what he experienced and what he looked for as a hope, he points us to look to as a hope. I've been reading a book the last few weeks, and I'm fairly slow at it, but uh, it was loaned to me by the Anders, and it's called Unbroken. It's the story of a man who was in a plane that got shot down in the Second World War, and then he ended up being a prisoner over in Japan. And this man was pretty incredible. Uh, he and two other men survived the initial shoot-down, and then they're in this raft for 50 days or something plus, and during all this time, they're really despairing of life, but yet they're hoping that they'll be spotted by planes. And then when they realize that they're long past the point where they'll be spotted by friendly planes, they're hoping that they'll be spotted by enemy planes. And then when they are, the enemies continue to strafe them and they have to bail out of their rafts and try to save their lives, get back in their rafts. And now there are all these holes in their rafts and so they have to get out this repair kit while they're feeble and burned from the sun and repair this raft. Meanwhile, there are sharks circling them constantly, constantly. They're having to beat these sharks off with, with, uh, with their fist and with anything that they can find on this raft. Then he has hoped that they're going to drift to these islands that are a thousand miles away. They do. They're taken prisoner. They're put in, uh, in prisoner camp by the Japanese, and they watch all of their food being sold at the fence. And so this, the, the guards are making money by selling the prisoners' food to the locals. And it's just despair is such an opportunity for him to indulge in, and yet he never does. He's just always looking to see what he can do, how he, how he can oppose these Japanese forces. But the reason I bring it up is that his hope was first in uh, salvation by his uh, friends. 
being spotted from these planes. And then in Salvation by the Enemy, and then he realizes that they're just out to get him. Uh, in the prison camp, he, he first wants to try to escape, but then when that is totally shut off because they say that they'll kill people, he puts his hope in opposing the enemy. So then they build this whole network, underground network of opposing the Japanese. It's just a beautiful illustration of hope driving people forward. And there is a proverb, 1312, that says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. So we must have hope. If we don't have hope, we despair. And with despair comes sickness and death. Now the hope of the future joy that Christ had is what impelled him throughout his earthly ministry. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy that was set before him, he endured all of those temptations. I want to turn with you to Luke 22. In Luke 22, starting at verse 41, I, read a, I want to read a few verses. Luke 22, starting at verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. When he rose up from prayer and had come to his disciples, he found them sleeping from sorrow. I, you know, until I'd been studying this, there is a part of this that has eluded me. And, and now I see what it is. In the very same challenge that motivated Christ to pray, all of his disciples fell asleep. And do you see what I, the last three words I read were in verse 45? He found them sleeping from sorrow. I'd always thought they were tired, but they were depressed. And they were indulging in sleep. And where I started reading was in verse 40, uh, 41. I'm trying not to wear my glasses, but it's, my eyes are going out on me. In verse 40, he said this to them. When he came to the place, he said to them, pray that you may not enter into temptation. And then he went off a distance to pray. And then look at the very next verse. He found them sleeping from sorrow. And then in the next verse, then he said to them, why do you sleep? Rise and pray lest you enter into temptation. So it began with a warning against temptation. It ended with a warning against temptation. They were indulging. They were, they were giving in to temptation to sleep their sorrows away. They were depressed. They were giving into it. It was God's plan that Jesus would endure what he did on this earth. It was God's plan that this man that I told you about, uh, Joe Zamperini, or Louis Zamperini, it was God's plan that he would endure all that he did. He was later uh, saved at a Billy Graham crusade in L.A., but yet it was God's plan through all of that struggle to bring this man through. And it's God's plan that you are all enduring what you endure. It is God's plan for you. And so what do you do then? How do you get through this? How do you accomplish what it is God wants you to do? For one thing, you have to avoid the tempter. You have to not indulge in sorrow, the sleep of sorrow. You must fight against that temptation. 
And so you must embrace what? You must embrace hope. You must embrace hope. And the hope is in God. It's not in you. God will take you to the end of what you can rely upon for your strength. He will force you beyond that point to test you to see if you will turn to him. These disciples did not. They were at the end. They were depressed. And they instead indulged in their depression. They indulged in the temptation of the sleep of sorrow. And yet God commands us not to. And the word here for today is exalted for the joy that was before him. And so I want to end by reading something similar that should incite in your imagination what it was that Christ was actually looking forward to. So in 2 Corinthians, starting in uh, 4.16, I want to read three verses. 2 Corinthians 4. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing, yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. For our light affliction, which is but for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. So when we come to the Lord's table, we come to a table that we can see. We come to these crackers and this wine that we can see. So what is it that you cannot see? You cannot see the grace of God at work in the table, not as God really has it at work in the table. And so we come in faith. We come in obedience, knowing that God blesses his children and God wants to have his children strengthened in this. So we come to God through the table to be strengthened in our faith, to reach out to him and admit that we need him. So let's do so today. Father, we thank you for this, your word. We thank you for what Jesus endured. And yet we thank you also for this exaltation and this present state that he is in, that he is at your right hand. He has overcome. And you call us all to overcome. Lord, we pray that you would be with us, that you would send your Holy Spirit to strengthen us in this. We thank you in Christ's name. Amen.